electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'm doing my friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, explain this whole thing. So call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. At times like these, when the market just keeps rolling over, Dow falling another 252 points, S&P tumbling 1.18%, of course, NASDAQ plunging 1.76%. You have to be mindful that we have to be on the lookout for what's called a whoosh or a crescendo of selling that causes a bottom, usually intraday. Oh, it didn't happen today. Don't worry. I'm just putting you on notice. Might not happen tomorrow. Might not happen next week. But it will happen if stocks keep going down like this and the bond market one day stabilizes and we are no longer fighting the darn Fed, which we still are. One day that living will occur, though. Not yet. But that's why you need to be ready with your shopping list of damaged stocks, not damaged companies, because they're what's worth buying on the way down. You tend to forget about them while all this carnage is occurring. What's the question to look like? I like to have objective totems. And my favorite is when we have down to up volume of nine to one. It means finally the bulls are capitulated and, the, and they've surrendered and therefore there's nobody left to sell, which means you got to do some buying. Now, today's a typically ugly day, not the kind where you get that whoosh bottom. I like to look at counterintuitive action for clues of a coming crescendo. One is when the S&P oscillator I often talk about is at a minus five or lower level, because that means we're oversold. And we are there. That means the market could bounce. We're there, but I actually, I don't think that it's done. Remember, I keep thinking we're going to have more damage. Second is when interest rates stop going higher. Now, today, rates did do a We gave a little respite, astounding uh, 4.9% GDP growth figure, and yet the bond market didn't collapse. Bit of an anomaly, because interest rates should have shot much higher. As someone who wants stocks to rally, though, I was actually hoping interest rates would go higher. As I said last night, long rates are too low, and there's not enough broad demand for 20- and 30-year bonds at these levels. I think those yields should be closer to 6% here. 6 going back to 5 is a lot better than 5 going back to 6. 5 doesn't cut it in this increasingly tumultuous world. That makes the worst much less likely. Now, if long rates stay here at around 5% and stocks climb, well, you know what I think. That, my friends, is just a sell, sell, sell. a trade and nothing more. I would love to be more bullish, but I don't want to end up in a situation where people get lulled into buying like they did earlier in the week and then get their heads cut off because of a sharp bond sell-off like we had yesterday. But what happens once long rates finally do get closer to my target of six? What happens if we get the crescendo of selling that shows the great give up is finally upon us? The stocks are about to bottom, like we're seeing, by the way, in some of the, the mega caps. Are you ready for that moment? In this business, there's nothing better than readiness. Having a shopping list of stocks that you like that are being dragged down by the broader market makes it much easier to buy when the action's truly terrifying. You make your battle plan away from the action, not in the middle of it. What does it mean to be ready during a decline like this? Let me give you a concrete example, and then we'll work backwards and figure out what today's game plan could be. So in 1990, Iraq invaded Kuwait, and our government decided we had to go to war. There was a lot of negative sentiment about our ability to defeat the Iraqi army and its vaunted Republican Guard. The last war had been Vietnam, so people weren't all that sanguine. Now, I and my army dad thought this was all ridiculous. But we respected the market and decided to hoard all our cash and then buy the anticipated whoosh bottom that went off right before the war began. On January 17th, we purchased call options and common stock that probably gave us a leverage ratio of 200%. One month later, we were done. That's right. We made our year. We made all the money we needed to make. We spent most of the rest of 1991 day trading with about a tenth of our capital. And we made some more money trading winners. Now, I think right now we're approaching a moment of great opportunity where you could do the same thing, but only if you're ready and interest rates have peaked and we're not fighting the Fed. 
All those things have to happen. I will stress that to you. I don't care how long and how many times. We can't keep fighting the Fed and rates have to top out. What we need to do is go on a hunt now, though, to identify the unfairly punished stocks of companies that reported the biggest earnings beat so far in this earnings season that people are already forgetting. Remember, some stocks can avoid the gravitational pull of the bond market, but most can't. There's been a ton of collateral damage in this market. And you want to search for the likeliest winners if we have another exquisite moment like we had in January of 1991. Fortunately, we've already heard from a ton of companies this earnings season, so we've got a lot to work with. I'm going to give you my five, I would say, favorite six right now for the crescendo sell-off. But warning, if Amazon stock really gets clobbered here after those tonight's, well, you know what? I might take one out and put that one in, or maybe I just could wait kind of a Magnificent Seven. Now, the first is Microsoft. This behemoth software company gave you the best quarter of the year by far. It had outstanding results from Azure's cloud business. Microsoft's plain old software business caught fire, and it'll only get better as the PC refresh cycle gets rolling. One look at the projections coming from the merger of its gaming operation with Activision Blizzard tells you that deal's a total home run. Microsoft's co-pilot artificial intelligence offering will be launched for everybody next week. Productivity dream come true. I like that. Second. WM, the old waste management, they reported an astounding set of numbers with gigantic gross margin boost from automation. They're not hiring machines. They're hiring machines, not people. That's the key. Plus, WM has a thriving business and recycled natural gas from their landfills. They did all this without having any increase in revenues to speak of. When sales come back, holy cow, will things be terrific. Third, I know it's hated beyond all recognition, but believe it or not, Meta Platforms actually had an amazing quarter. Everyone's turning on the stocks. It's a huge beat, one of the largest of this earnings season, yet now its stock trades at incredibly low-priced earnings multiple. It trades like like a food stock. Instagram, fabulous. Reels, incredible. WhatsApp, arguably worth several hundred billion dollars. Reality Labs, think of it as a call on Mark Zuckerberg not having lost his mind. So why did the stock get hit today? Well, Meta mentioned that ad sales have gotten a little weaker because of the Israel-Gaza war. As someone who ran an ad-supported website for 25 years, I can tell you that, that ads get pulled whenever something horrific occurs. But the ads come right back once the meeting moves on, and we always move on, and that will happen within, I believe, this quarter for the current quarter for Meta. Fourth, Procter & Gamble is the rare old-fashioned blue chip with a solid valuation, good dividend. Delivered a solid quarter. And even if the economy finally slows down, it will keep banging out its numbers. Textbooks slow down stock. What a terrific choice. Fifth, how about GE? This company now has the fastest-growing aerospace play, and it's about to spin off its power division. I never thought I had anything good to say about that power division, but now their windmills are suddenly selling well, and it'll be profitable. I like Boeing, too. It, it, it's cheaper than GE. But I think GE's quarter is one of the biggest beats we've had. If the stock comes down... Pounce. Finally, last night's ServiceNow report. I always liked when this company helped its clients to onboard employees and manage tech tickets. But under CEO Bill McDermott, ServiceNow has become much more important. It's a de facto way to get on the cloud with great cybersecurity while finding ways to save money through the use of artificial intelligence. I think ServiceNow, Adobe, and Microsoft are really the only worthwhile AI plays out there because they're making money, of course, NVIDIA is too. Bottom line. There will be other stocks that will be worth buying into the eventual crescendo of selling when the market, when the bond market uh, peaks, stocks bottom, and we're not fighting the Fed. Earnings season's still young, but those six are the ones that stick out so far. Put them on your shopping list and wait until the capitulation gives you much lower prices that are finally competitive with the bond market. Let's take some calls. Let's go to Tom in Illinois. Tom. Oh, great, Karnak, the magnificent. I need <laughs> I your advice Karnak. on Eli Lilly. I have a substantial capital gain of six digits. I don't know whether to sell some and take it out in this market or let it ride. Okay, that's a great question. Look, look, we have a horrible market, sir, and I'm never going to fight anybody to take some off the table. We have taken some off the table for our travel trust. We've, got a, we've had a really good run with the other Lily, and we felt we were being greedy, so we took some off. So I have to say the same thing. You should join the club because we had some real good calls on Eli Lilly. Let's go to Chris in California. Chris. Hi. Hey, Chris. Hi, Mr. Kramer. Indeed. What's You're up? You're great, and I've been watching your TV for many years. Thank you. Okay. So I have a question? Yeah. Yeah, my question was on Macy's. So should I buy more Macy's? Well, should look, I Macy's is Macy's? a very inexpensive stock. It has a 5.5% yield, but later on the show you'll hear that I don't think that yield's really helping stocks. I don't think you're going to get hurt uh, buying a little bit here, but I, it, it's a retailer, and I do not like retailers. I just don't. 
I like to talk to the guys who run retailers. I like retail in a better environment, but I'm going to fight in the Fed and rates keep going higher. This wave of selling might not be the crescendo that I want yet, but you got to prepare for when the time comes and have your shopping list ready. I just give you six good stocks. On mid money tonight, the auto cohort is concerned about the staying power of EVs. So I'm getting a read on where demand stands and what barriers exist to adoption with the CEO of Hertz. Then a shakeup in management always is a sign to reevaluate a stock. So what should you do with a company like Dollar General, who has its former CEO back at the helm? I'm digging into the company's story and seeing if this is the turning point investors have been waiting for. And Lifetime stock got crushed after earnings. So is this an overreaction to the company that saw a growth in membership and revenue? I'm getting to the bottom of it all with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. too long ago, everybody, even tangentially related to the oil industry, wanted some connection to electric vehicles. Now we're seeing the results, and for the most part, not that good. This morning, we got results from Hertz Global, the rental car kingpin, which invests a lot of money in EVs, now 11% of the fleet. Now, while the quarter wasn't terrific, you couldn't tell after the hideous action, the stock was down 10% today. What went wrong? Hertz reported an earnings miss in part because of higher repair costs for its electric vehicles, which weighed on margins. Didn't matter that demand was good. I think it deserves more scrutiny. Earlier today, we spoke with Steve Scher. He is the CEO of Hertz Global. Take a look. Mr. Scher, welcome back to Man Money. Thank you, Jim. Good to be back with you. All right, Steve, we've got two narratives here. Let's take the major quarters, I like to call it. Revenues in the quarter, $2.7 billion. Highest quarterly report. Uh, sounds like travel's very robust. Why don't you give me the goods before we focus on what a lot of other people are focusing on? Of course. So you're right, Jim. Uh, $2.7 billion in revenue was the best reported quarterly revenue this company has known. It's reflective of uh, stable demand. Uh, the consumer is traveling. Uh, and so demand is there, up about 16% sequentially in terms of what we're seeing around volume. Equally on price, even more important than the production of days, we saw price sequentially up 2%. Importantly, 
when you pull apart the brands, what you see is that the Hertz Leisure brand, our premier brand, was up 6% in rate sequentially, and our dollar brand, the valued brand, was up about 3%. And it just shows you that the Hertz brand is commanding of attractive pricing, and it's only validating of what we're doing around the dollar brand, which is to build a better experience for the customer such that we can achieve some price parity with the other value brands that are out there. Okay, at the same time, we obviously have, uh, some people say the elephant in the room, we've got an EV issue, uh, both in terms of repair, but also I would argue maybe there's a kind of a uh, ennui, maybe ennui with EVs. And I thought you could address that because you're a shrewd trader and I didn't think people would see the depreciation at lightning speed, almost like a bad stock, so to speak. Well, I would say, Jim, th- there's, there's, there are some elements to this that are worth sort of talking about. First of all, depreciation went up on these cars, in part because Tesla took price down by about a third earlier in the year. When you take the MSRP or the cost down on the car, the residual price of that car, that is what the price is uh, estimated to be at the time you sell the car, that goes down as well. And so you need to make up for time. You need to take higher depreciation over a fixed number of months. That's just math. That stays with us. It's not something we can control. It's been put upon us, obviously, by price movement of the cars. But like any good trader, Jim, you know, I look at this and I say, okay, on one hand, that costs me money on depreciation. On the other hand, if I'm committed to be a first mover, which I am, I'm a better buyer at lower prices on the forward. And I think there's no technology change, EVs included, that run a straight line without some hiccups and challenges. And uh, that's this. Uh, The line from A to B is not always straight. It's not that here. Depreciation is higher because the MSRP came down, but we're a better buyer on the forward. uh, As it relates to damage... Go ahead, Jim. No, I, it's the repair issue also that bothered me. I was thinking maybe people, first-time buyers, they don't know how to put gasoline in the tank. I mean, what's happening? So, okay, so let's move past depreciation. Right. Let's talk about damage and collision costs. So it's both incident and cost. Let's take the cost side. The cost to repair an electric vehicle, and mind you, these are not only Teslas. Right. About 11%, 12% of our fleet is electric. About 80% of that is Tesla. But at the moment, the cost of parts and labor to to repair damage to a Tesla is higher than it is on a combustion engine car. That's because the parts supply, the availability of labor, is not nearly as robust as it is for a combustion engine car. Time will take that down, but equally we are all about lowering the cost, finding opportunity uh, to procure parts cheaper, steeper discounts, repair ourselves. That's the cost side of the equation. No, I, I would ha- on the incidents, these cars, these cars are getting damaged more than combustion but then engine cars. I don't cars. get that. I don't know that that's about the car. That may be about newer drivers with people with new exposure to electric that's vehicles. That's what I think. And it's interesting because you are at, turned out to be a pioneer. I had thought that there was adoption. We've all kind of, many people have driven them. And they're a great pleasure. I find them easier to drive than a, than a combustion engine. Yes. But the one thing I was thinking about, Steve, is you are a if you felt that the EVs were going to plummet in price, I think you'd just take your first, uh, first loss of your vessels and you'd dump them. But you're not doing that. No, because I think that, look, this, we don't mark-to-market cars like you do financial assets. So there's no daily mark-to-market on a car. The price differential is expressed through depreciation, and that's how it plays. And so, you know, the, 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 the opportunity to dump the car, so to speak, is not really one that's available to us, and frankly speaking, not one that I would take. There's positive margin to be had in the existing fleet of cars, and we will buy our price down over time as these cars have fallen in price. And by the way, we'll buy more than just Teslas. Much as we will continue to buy Tesla, we'll buy GM cars and the like. We'll have about 10,000 GM EVs in our fleet by the end of the year. That's going to grow. I would say that GM has a very broad, very well-oiled uh, part supply network that will benefit in how we operate those cars. Tesla, no doubt, will develop that over time. So I'm, I am optimistic and, and I'm, I'm very convicted around being a first mover. Remember, Jim, being a first mover in EVs for us is our ticket to dance around rideshare. It's renting EVs into Uber and Lyft. 
That's a very interesting business. It's not subject to sort of the competitive elements that we see in the conventional leisure and corporate business. I like where we are. We've developed a great relationship there. That business is up 50% since the beginning of the year. And the EV is our ticket, as I say, to dance, you know, in that in that segment. Well, last question, I would think of the things you would want to buy. It would be your common stock. Your liquidity is much better than the old Hertz. And I've got to say to myself, yes, because of the prurient interest of what may be going on with EVs, you yourself are getting a chance to buy maybe the cheapest asset that you have on your lot, which is your common stock. That's absolutely true. I mean, the stock price here is quite attractive. The return, as we see it over the medium to long term, is really uh, an attractive one. And so, you know, we commit our capital to our fleet, to our non-fleet, and equally to share repurchase. And at these prices, that looks like an attractive proposition. And we'll weigh that in the balance of how we invest in the company. Well, you're a straightforward guy, Steve, as you've always been for many, many years. Well, probably since birth, for all I know. I only knew you when you were at Goldman. But I want to thank you so much for coming <laughs> on to our show and telling us the truth about what's going on at Hertz, because it's a great story in a lot of different ways. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Jim. Great to be with you. That's Steve Shore. He's chairman and CEO of Hertz. Boy, did he give us a lot to think about, didn't he? Mad Money's back into the break. Coming up, do you know the value of a dollar? Kramer takes a deep dive into Dollar General. Find yourself a good deal next. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card. This is a tough time for retail in general, but it's been particularly horrific the house of for the dollar stores. Like everyone else in the industry, they've been hit with serious cost inflation, but unlike most of the competitors, they have very little ability to pass those costs on to customers because it flies in the face of their whole business model. However, something interesting happened recently with Dollar General. After pulling back more than 61% from its highs last year, the stock shot up 9% when we learned that former CEO Ted Vassos will be rejoining the company once again as CEO. Even though Dollar General cut their full-year forecast at the same time, the stock still roared. So what the heck's going on here? Is this guy Vassos really good enough to offset the fact that the company's doing quite badly right now? Honestly, I think this rebound actually makes sense. I'm going to tell you why. First, though, you need to understand what happened. On October 12th, Dollar General slashed its full-year guidance across the board, cutting the high end of their same-store sales and earnings forecasts in particular. It was very disappointing, although Dollar General shareholders have certainly gotten used to disappointment. That's one of the problems. The House of Pain. This was the third time they cut their forecast since the beginning of the year. That's really pretty horrible. But the stock still rallied because we learned that Dollar General had fired relatively new CEO Jeff Owen, who'd been on the job for less than a year, and brought back the predecessor, Todd Vassos, who ran the company from 2015 through November of last year and was loved. Now, investors often cheer when a CEO with a bad track record gets ousted. And since Jeff Owen took over, the stock had been hammered. Sure, the guy had a great story. I mean, he started as a manager training at Dollar General in Nashville 30 years ago. Worked his way all the way up to chief operating officer, then got the CEO job. I like stories like that. And a lot of the problems here were really endemic to retail in general, not him. Everybody's had to deal with inflation. Everybody's had to deal with rampant theft. Everybody who caters to poor customers needs to worry about the health of the consumer. But given the market's incredibly positive reaction to Dollar General's leadership change, there's clearly something going on here. I actually think it's less about what Jeff Owen did wrong than about what Todd Vassos did right before he stepped down. Vassos joined the company in 2008 when he took over as chief merchandising officer uh, before becoming COO in 2013, CEO in 2015. During his seven and a half year tenure as CEO, Dollar General was an incredibly successful company. He grew the store count from 10,500 locations, not shabby, to 17,500 annual uh, locations. Annual sales increased by more than 80%. And most important, under his leadership, Dollar General's market capitalization more than doubled growing to $58 billion. Nice numbers. A lot of that's because Vossos had big plans for the chain 
and was able to execute them flawlessly. He revamped their frozen and refrigerator uh, business. That's been a real uh, profit center. He expanded the availability of fresh produce new for Dollar Gen and created the store within a store uh, pop shelf concept where they sell seasonal products and home decor. Most important, he was the driving force behind Dollar General's expansion in New Mexico. During his later years, the company went, was winning awards left and right. In 2020, Dollar General joined the Fortune World's most admired companies list. They got recognized by Forbes for having a great response to COVID. In short, Vasos represents trusted leadership at a time when the company was truly struggling. So what exactly do the buyers think he's going to change this time? Right now, Dollar General is facing a litany of woes. Again, very few of them have much to do with the CEO, who just got fired. I mean, poor guy, he, he got dealt a pretty bad hand. At the end of the day, this is an incredibly challenging environment for the dollar stores and the retail more broadly. A Dollar General... Uh, the in-store experience has indeed gotten a lot worse, in large part because we have a serious labor shortage in this country, something that's been especially hard on the service sector. I have to tell you, my Dollar General, same thing. It's like one guy at the register, and then I'm looking around for anybody else. Last quarter, management announced they'd be upping their, their labor investment from $100 million to $150 million to get the stores fully staffed. That'd be great. But analysts on the whole question whether an extra $50 million would be enough. It's not the ousted CEO's fault that we got hit with a labor shortage this country, is it? But there are also company-specific execution problems. For example, Dollar General is seeing surprisingly low productivity at its new stores. We've seen several different analysts hope that the newly restored Ted Vasos regime will dial back on the company's expansion plans. Instead, they want him to focus on making the existing stores more profitable. I like that. I know Vasos grew Dollar General's footprint by leaps and bounds the last time he was running the show, but this is a very different moment. Not only do they have to deal with a lack of workers, making the stores more expensive to operate, but the expansion has overwhelmed middle management. Dollar General's district managers used to oversee 15 to 20 locations. Now they're handling 25 to 30 in some cases. That's too many. That might be, easy, be another reason for the deteriorating in-store experience. At the same time, some analysts want to see fresh produce rolled out at more locations. Seems realistic given that this was Voss's project originally. So where do I come out on the story? Look, I believe in the power of management, which is why I wouldn't be surprised at all if a familiar face that has years of experience can help steer the ship back in the right direction. But there are times when no amount of great management can cope with an industry's broader problems. We know for a fact that Wall Street uh, tends to get overexcited about the return of a familiar, previously successful face. And you can argue, I, didn't I make the same mistake when I told you to buy Disney when Bob Iger returned? How'd that work? Charitable trust has been hurt by that. We tend to underestimate how long it'll take for them to fix the new problems. With Disney, I'm still confident that Iger's the right man for the job. But, man, it's taking a lot longer than I expected. With Dollar General, we know most of retail is having a miserable time, and it's likely to get worse before it gets better because the Fed's fight against inflation won't stop until they've finally made real progress slowing the economy. And we're definitely not there yet, not after this GDP number we saw this morning. Bottom line, I think Dollar General can do better than it would have otherwise done now that Ted Vasos is back in the driver's seat. Guy's got a great track record, but that doesn't mean the stock can mount a sustainable rally anytime soon. If you want to bet on a Vasos-led turnaround, you need to be incredibly patient. Put on a small position here and then wait for a significant pullback. You'll probably get one before you buy more. Because, you know what? This is one awful market. Let's take calls. Let's go to Charles in Idaho. Charles. Jim, booyah. Booyah, Charles. And Jim, I'm sorry about your Phillies, but your Eagles are still looking good. Okay. That was, yeah, the Phillies was a, it was a jarring moment. Let's put it that way. How can I help you? Jim, understanding that brick and mortar type businesses are having issues with the increasing theft rings that are going around. Correct. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are with, about Home Depot going into 2024. Are they a buy, hold, or sell? Well, look, moment? I'm never going to tell anyone not to buy Home Depot because it's incredibly well run and Ted Decker's doing great. I don't like theft. I don't like what I saw today from Whirlpool. I do believe that the Fed would like it to make it so we'd spend less money on big ticket items. All that cuts against Home Depot. In favor of it is a long tradition of making money. But right now, that stuff hasn't been working. There, it's on the one hand, on the other. I wish I could do better for you. How about uh, Jermina in Indiana? Jermina. Yes, this is Garima uh, from Fort Bend, Indiana. Okay. We are Mr. Kramer. How are you? Thank you for your guidance. I'm good. Thank you for your guidance. Thank you. Uh, I wanted to know, is Target, ticker symbol TGT, is ready to turn around as it's down around 60%? Do you think it's the right time to get into? I I think we have to worry about where stocks are going, not where they've come from. And as far as I'm concerned, as much as I like Target, 
it is still selling at 14 times earnings. And I say that still because I think these retailers are going to bottom at lower levels. Target's up against Costco. It's up against Walmart. It's up against Amazon. That is one giant phalanx, and I do like Target. All right, well, I'm hopeful that Ted Bosters can write the ship at Dollar General. Investors should be patient with the stock and expect some bumps in the road to recovery. Nothing just goes like this. Mad money tonight including my exclusive with Lifetime. The food stocks have felt the pain from the increased interest in weight loss drugs, but how about the gyms? I'm talking to the CEO of Lifetime after a tough quarter that sent his stock lower yesterday. Not sure if it even should have been. Then dividends used to be the aspect of a stock that would keep people in regardless of the fundamentals. But does that theory change when you have a government treasury with a 5% yield? I'm breaking down this new market dynamic. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. do with Lifetime Group Holdings, the chain of upscale health clubs, saw its stock plunge more than 15% yesterday. It reported a quarter that was slightly softer than expected. I mean, sales and earnings came in a bit lighter, and not so bad that you expect such a huge decline. Unfortunately, the revenue guidance for the current quarter came a little light, too, and now people are starting to worry, but maybe the business... How does it handle a significant downturn in the economy? Still, that decline yesterday was staggering. you got to wonder how much of that was just the ugliness of the broader stock market rather than any company specific. Why don't we take a closer look with, with Baram Ukrati? Now, uh, I don't know if you remember the story, but this company went, was on our show and then went private. And now it's come back public. And that's going to be key. He's the CEO of Lifetime Group Holdings. So, and we got to learn more. Mr. Crotty, welcome back to Bad Money. Thank you, Jim. OK, the reason why I started that is because there was a moment when you and I talked when you first came public and you were saying, I don't know, you're not getting credit. But here we are again. Once again, you come public again, and I don't think you're getting credit for the institution that you created. So rather than get caught up in the four walls of the little bit EBITDA here, a little bit sales that, why don't you tell us how you're really doing? Oh, we're doing great. Listen, our business summarizes into making our members, our customers live happier, healthier lives. And I can honestly say our members uh, have voted with their action, and our company is happier and healthier than it's ever been before. We recorded 506 million of trailing 12 months EBITDA, which is record for the company at the end of 3Q. We have healthier EBITDA margins than we had uh, the years before we went uh, uh, before the years before we went public and before uh, COVID came. We have higher EBITDA plus rent margins. Uh, business is strong. And since January, we've taken the guidance and the performance of our EBITDA from roughly low 400s to north of 500 for the year. Every single time we have had a visit with the street, we have raised the guidance on the EBITDA, which is important thing. And look, uh, I am seasoned enough. I've been public long enough. I know what's important for the entity itself. We have set sequential goals. First was to get all of our members back or the visits back, get our dues back. We did all of that. Get to 500 million of EBITDA, we did that. And now the most important milestone for the company is what we announced that we're going to be able to achieve a couple years early, which be cash flow positive after we spend all the money on all of our growth capital as well as, as, well as everything else. And that we're going to get done as early as middle of the second quarter uh, next year. I'm glad you put it like that, because that's how I remember when we met downtown. You made certain yeah. projections to me, and you beat those projections. So I'm always confused when I see a stock that's lost a huge amount when the man who tells me we're going to do X and then does better than X, that's something I like. So let's try to figure out what else might be uh, throwing people off. There are a lot of questions about real estate and sale leasebacks. Important for people at home who are trying to figure out, I belong to this club, I love it, maybe I should buy the stock. Is that an important thing where you are with sale leasebacks? Yeah. So the strategy of the company on a long-term basis is to be more asset light. And so sell leaseback makes perfect sense when you can get the right cap rates. And in this current environment, it is very difficult for most of those types of entities to give you a cap rate 
Now, if you're doing a short-term financing, three years, four years, five years, it really doesn't matter. But our large facilities are 20 to 25-year original term leases with 25 years of options. So you don't want to take a high cap rate and have bumps for the next 40, 50 years. Now, you really would be in trouble, and this is where I think the street is getting wrong, Jim, if you would be in trouble, if you needed that sell lease back to grow the company, we clearly have explained to the market that we are able to grow the company double digit, top line, bottom line, clearly through any economics, macro headwinds, et cetera, and do it now with all our own internally generated cash. I have never been happier for the, for the company itself and the stock price will take care of itself in time. I okay, mean, if they now the only thing that I question is is that I wonder whether your price point now, say for a family of three, a middle class family, could be as much as three hundred dollars a month. Is that starting to get up there? I mean, I'm I'm in the cable business, right? We're starting to see a level where you can't pay per month, and people are resisting it. Is there resistance to the prices that you want to charge? Yeah, uh, that that has been the main question nonstop. And the reality is we had the clubs figured out with too many memberships in the past. Right now, what we have is we have a lot more visits per membership. Let me give you the stats that I think you're going to love. In uh, first nine months of 20, first nine months of 2023, our visits per memberships are up 24%. The total, pri- the total revenue per membership is up only 28% from 2019. So actual price per visit for our members is up 4%. 4%, while the accumulated, accumulated uh, inflation is way more than that. So in fact, Lifetime is delivering the best value it has done in the last five, six years right now. All right, that's important. Now, the other thing that I think people don't seem to get, you know, they have all these GLP-1 drugs. People are talking about the weight reduction drugs. What people don't seem to understand is you got to work out even harder. you got to work out even harder because it loses muscle as well as fat. Are you noticing that people are, are figuring that you don't need to go to a club because people are losing weight? Do they not understand that you can fall apart if you just take the drugs and you don't work out? Yeah, the reality is I was this morning in the club working out with my son and his friends, actually training them at 5.36 in the morning. And the, 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 the clubs are not about just the workout. If it's all about the weight loss, then, you know, you could be somewhat maybe affected temporarily. The, the effect of the weight loss, the science behind it, you're not working out. You're going to lose weight. You're going to lose muscle. You're going to be skinny looking, but you're also going to have more issues. Eventually, those customers will come back. For every customer that clubs could lose because they're not going to come in because they can lose a little bit of weight, they're going to pick that customer up for a longer time later. So this is just a wrong assumption. I'm not talking about lifetime. I'm no, talking I'm about you made, people don't understand that. It's a long assumption. Last thing, I don't know. My wife plays this pickleball. I wish she wanted to buy like a bed, bath, and beyond because she said, hey, listen, we can open six pickleball courts. What is that doing to your business as pickleball? It's been amazing. We we have uh, actually we're opening in Manhattan by the Penn Station seven additional courts here in the next three four months. Looking so forward to have you and your wife come and play there. <laughs> I took lessons. <laughs> I'm not that bad, but it's just that you for some of my age, I you know I, it doesn't. I don't feel like I have to ice for five hours after I'm done. Yeah, it's much much for as a doubles game for a pickleball court, much more lenient on your body than a tennis game would be. So it allows people to play at much older time in their in their life. All right. Well, look, I I know what you're doing, and I know how well you're doing, and I I agree with you that enough is enough already with these sellers. They should go to one, figure out how great it is. I want to thank you, Bar McCarty, for the chairman and CEO of Lifetime. Next time we're going back to the club. All right. That's the most sounds fun great. To do. All right. Thank you so much, Jim. Thank you. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. Chris, I'm going to go to the show. Let me 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 go to the show.
And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Okay, so we're with Jarvis in South Carolina. Jarvis! Booyah, Mr. Kramer. This is Jarvis, a first-time caller from South Carolina. Good to have you on the show. What's going on? Uh... Thank you for all the you do for us on gamers and everything you've taught me in the two plus years I've been watching. Oh, uh, thank you for watching. That's great. Thank you. Oh, yeah, it's awesome, man. I got a three percent position and a uh, stock I'm down about fourteen percent on okay. ticker symbol T O S T. I just wanted to get your opinion on it. Uh, I gotta tell you, I can't be that positive on it because I used to be in the restaurant business, and I gotta tell you, that is just what we call football business, where we just rip out a toast and put in another guy, rip out on point of sale is not a good business. I'd be careful there. Jim in South Carolina. Jim! Booyah, Jimmy. Booyah, partner. What's going on? Well, I'm a little bit confused about how, how CBS has been treated by the market this year. And okay. As much as they've embarked, okay, they embarked on an ambitious corporate plan. They've acquired Aetna Oak Street Signify as acquisition. Right. Also, their 4A rating within the Medicare Advantage plan has been restored, which won't be reflected until next year's earnings. Right, but remember, CBS in the end is a retailer that has a healthcare business. It's not a healthcare business that is a retailer, and retailer means theft. Okay, I don't know if you've been to a CBS lately, but you know you got to have like that master key to be able to go get some Gillette razor blades. That's not my way of shopping. Thomas in Georgia. Thomas. Hey Jim, uh, I hey, was bummed to have to let go of my Pioneer shares uh, the other week. We made some good money, though. We made good money. That's what matters. Absolutely. 25% in, uh, what, six months. Uh, yeah. I'm looking at Canadian Natural Resources as a Good company. Good company. I like that company. I think you got horse sense. I'd be a buyer of that. Let's go to Jonathan in my old home state of Pennsylvania. Jonathan. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Jonathan. I have learned the fear of missing out is actually the folks who have not yet joined the investing club have no idea the golden learning opportunities they're missing out on. Thank you. Thank you very much. We're working pretty darn hard. We're working right now on Amazon. Many, many things that we're learning about. What's happening? Thank you for all you do for us. Hey, um, thanks to the club. I, I sold Pioneer to Ching and I own Coterra, uh, another energy company you don't hear a lot about that looks financially healthy, but I'm not sure about. Their uh, PE is very low at about five is Sinclair. What are your thoughts about I've looked at that and felt the same way. I think that that PE is a red flag. I've got, I've got so many other good oil companies, including Kotara, which you just bought more of today for the club. I want to stay away from HF Sinclair. I'd be, honestly, I'd rather see you in, uh, in Chevron, which is really getting clubbed here. How about Vikrun in Maryland? Vikrun! Hey, Jim. A big fan of yours. Oh, thank you. What's going on? So I want to know your view on exact signs. Is it a good investment? I think they're going to have to start making a lot more money. It's been a sales story. I like earnings story right now, particularly when it comes to healthcare. Holy cow, they've been clocking some of my old faves like an EW. we got to be careful. Don't forget a line. Let's go to Charlie in Tennessee. Charlie. Hello, Mr. Kramer. Booyah. Booyah, Charlie. I appreciate you taking my call. Thank uh, you. SoFi, I know you're a believer. I like SoFi, but remember, it is a bank in the end, even though it's a membership bank, and banks are all going back down again because we're fighting the Fed, but I would stay long SoFi. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, they put a cushion under your feet. But Foot Locker's dividend failed to support the stock. A lesson in yield. Next. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. Chris, I'm going to go to the other side. Bye, bye, bye. So, I'm going to go to talk to you. I'm going to play this out. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Chris, I'm going to go to Jarvis in South Carolina. Jarvis! Booyah, Mr. Kramer. This is Jarvis, a first-time caller from South Carolina. Good to have you on the show. What's going on? Uh, Thank you for all the you for us on gamers and everything you've taught me in the two-plus years I've been watching. Uh, Thank you for watching. That's great. Thank you. Oh, yeah, it's awesome, man. I got a 3% position and a uh, stock I'm down about 14% on ticker symbol TOST. I just wanted to get your opinion on it. I got to tell you, I can't be that positive on it because I used to be in the restaurant business, and I got to tell you, that is just what we call football business, where we just rip out a toast and put in another guy, rip out on point of sale is not a good business. I'd be careful there. Jim in South Carolina. Jim! Booyah, Jimmy. Booyah, partner. What's going on? 
Well, I'm a little bit confused about how, how CBS has been treated by the market this year. And okay. As much as they've, it, okay, they've embarked on an ambitious corporate plan. They've acquired Aetna Oak Street Signify as acquisition. Right. Also, their 4A rating within the Medicare Advantage plan has been restored, which won't be reflected until next year's earnings. Right, but remember, CVS in the end is a retailer that has a healthcare business. It's not a healthcare business that is a retailer, and retailer means theft. Okay, I don't know if you've been to a CVS lately, but you know you got to have like that master key to be able to go get some Gillette razor blades. That's not my way of shopping. Thomas in Georgia. Thomas. Hey Jim, uh, I hey, was Jones. bummed to have to let go of my Pioneer shares uh, the other week. We made some good money, though. Episodes. We made good money. That's what matters. Absolutely. 25% in, uh, what, six months. Uh, yep. I'm looking at Canadian Natural Resources as a Good company. Good company. I like that company. I think you got horse sense. I'd be a buyer of that. Let's go to Jonathan in my old home state of Pennsylvania. Jonathan. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Jonathan. I have learned the fear of missing out is actually the folks who have not yet joined the investing club have no idea the golden learning opportunities they're missing out on. Thank you. Thank you very much. We're working pretty darn hard. We're working right now on Amazon. Many, many things that we're learning about. What's happening? Thank you for all you do for us. Hey, um, thanks to the club. I I sold Pioneer Cha-Ching and I own Coterra, uh, another energy company you don't hear a lot about that looks financially healthy, but I'm not sure about. Their uh, P.E. is very low at about five is Sinclair. What are your thoughts about I've looked at that and felt the same way. I think that that P.E. is a red flag. I've got so many other good oil companies, including Kotara, which you just bought more of today for the club. I want to stay away from H.F. Sinclair. Honestly, I'd rather see you in in Chevron, which is really getting clubbed here. How about Vikrant in Maryland? Vikrant! Hey, Jim. A big fan of yours. Oh, thank you. What's going on? So I want to know your view on exact signs. Is it a good investment? I think they're going to have to start making a lot more money. It's been a sales story. I like earnings story right now, particularly when it comes to healthcare. Holy cow, they've been clocking some of my old faves like an EW. we got to be careful. Don't forget a line. Let's go to Charlie in Tennessee. Charlie. Hello, Mr. Kramer. Booyah. Booyah, Charlie. I appreciate you taking my call. Thank uh, you. SoFi, I know you're a believer. I like SoFi, but remember, it is a bank in the end, even though it's a membership bank, and banks are all going back down again because we're fighting the Fed, but I would stay long SoFi. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, they put a cushion under your feet. But Footlocker's dividend failed to support the stock. A lesson in yield. Next. We used to call dividends the hidden trampolines because as stock prices went down, their yields would go up, making them more attractive and only allowing them to bounce. The yields gave you such good return relative to bonds that these beaten down dividend stocks were just too tempting to ignore, even if the underlying business wasn't doing that well at that moment. But that was then. This is now. Dividends are only a trampoline in a low interest rate environment. Who the heck cares about getting a 3 to 4% yield when a, from a risky stock, no less, when you get 5% risk-free from treasuries? This new normal takes some getting used to. For example, I've been debating whether to add the stock of Whirlpool to the bullpen of my charitable trust. I figured that if we got a sudden decline in discretionary spending for washing machines, Whirlpool's 5% dividend yield would serve as a bridge until things got better. They'd be paying it away for a turn. That made a ton of sense when long-term rates were at 3.5%. But with long rates at 5 Whirlpool can't upset the risk. We may scoff at the notion of the full faith and credit of the U.S. government, but America is still the wealthiest, most powerful country on Earth. Meanwhile, Whirlpool stock crashed nearly 16%. The levels where it yields 6.6% after management acknowledged that consumers are really pushing back on discretionary purchases. When times get tough, it looks like customers in both Europe and Asia take a breather from buying washing machines, too. Now, we saw the same thing happen with the stock of Bristol-Myers, a company I used to joke about because it was solid as a rocket broader. It was synonymous with consistency. Now, though, Bristol-Myers seems to have lost its way. With new products delayed, other product sales declining precipitously, normally I'd say, oh, new products are delayed? No problem, Bristol-Myers. Myers is 4% yield. I don't want to hold it. Uh, not anymore. They're paying you to wait. Not. 
See, today the stock plunged 5% because that 4% yield is nothing next to the risk-free 5% you can get from Treasuries. And there was a time about 15 points ago when it seemed like UPS couldn't possibly go lower. Here you have an iconic American company which had a 4% yield at the time and a new contract with the Teamsters Union took out a costly strike on the table just right away. But this morning, UPS forecasted some really nasty numbers. The stock got clobbered, and now it yields 4.7%, which is neither here nor there. Will there be protection at 5%? I don't think so. The dividend trampoline can still come into play, but only if we're rewarded instantly with better earnings. And it, even then, it doesn't stop a stock from going lower when you think it would, like it would, Verizon at a 5% yield, which stopped nothing. Then 6% also did nothing. Even when the yield got to 7%, it created no floor. But when Verizon stock fell enough that its yield was 8% and its cash flow started improving, that... And only that was when you got a fantastic bounce. I think there's more room to run because many people were worried about the viability of the dividend. And the way I see it, those worries have now been put in the past. In the end, dividends don't offer as much protection at times like these. I know from painful experience, we bought the stock of Foot Locker for the Travel Trust when they brought in Mary Dillon as the new CEO. She done a terrific job running Ulta. I knew the near term would be tough. But with Foot Locker's yield getting close to 5%, I figured it didn't put a floor underneath it. Bad judgment by me. It didn't save us because Foot Locker suspended its dividend. The trampoline got pulled and the stock fell from the 40s to the low 20s. The moral of the story, you want yield? Go buy a bond. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you to find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Disclaimer. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.